This week on the Kojima Frequency, we have game developer and writer James Clinton Howell, known for his work with Kojima Productions and Camouflage, and for writing Driving Off the Map, a formal analysis of Metal Gear Solid 2. Okay, I am behind the curve on trying Asahi Super Dry, and I will say this is this is super dry. But I like it, what so is, that works. What What is Asahi? That's oh, a Asahi Super Dry. It's a Japanese beer. Oh, okay. Cool. That's it's, what it's, I thought it was, but it's the sort of thing where it's like, I'm not like... I'm like 80% sure that my frame of reference for that word is correct, but I, I, I'm not confident enough in that to just like jump right out and say it. That's all like I asked for clarity. So thank you. Apparently <laughs> it's brewed in Canada. Really? Yeah. And it's and it's uh, self-proclaimed Japan's number one beer. Huh. Well, I guess both of those things can be true. That's globalization can, yeah. for you there. I was right about now. to say that's uh, globalization, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I feel uh, like I've tried a few of Japanese, uh, J- sorry, Japan's number one lagers at this point. I think I've had a few of them. Yeah, there is not uh, a hint of sweetness in that. I'm more of a plum wine type of girl, so. No, I have, uh, I am, uh, I have aged out of the point where alcohol is is is, is fun anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm like, man, you know that that uh, the adage that water is the real adult beverage. Like when you hit that point, oh that's, yes, you can nine times out of ten bet that that is somebody who, if they, I don't know, like run into a wall or hit their knee on the corner of a couch, they're gonna be feeling that for like a week. So that's uh, that's sort of a. <laughs> The, the neighborhood where I live now, time-wise. <laughs> That's also the age where damn it becomes darn it. Yeah, you know, uh, I, my my son uh, hasn't reached the age where he understands language yet, so we're still sort of easing into that. <laughs> you've, got, you've got time, you've got time. Yeah. But like, what, but, I've got but, yeah, two doors I'm, between me and my kids, so I can say what I want. <laughs> I mean, I've I've cursed in front of his kids, for the record. Oh, Jesus. Didn't mean to. It was an accident. <laughs> I think... I think I think most of us who have been who, who kind of like get old enough to where like you have friends who have kids have had that sort of accidental moment where you just sort of uh, speak a little too casually in front of a kid and like cuss and you're you just like feel horrible for like the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> least, yeah, I, that's how I, I, I felt. Anyway. Was like, I was like, in oh the car God. when she did it because I yeah <laughs> they were going to get dinner and like we were about to record and I feel like I tell this story every episode but whatever and. Yeah, we pick up the phone and he's like, hey, sorry, guys, I'm with my kids. And the first thing I go is like, holy fuck. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you and were just I so excited to, to like be on the phone with the kids. It's like, I've heard so much about you. Why don't you like Metal Gear? <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. Yo, it's Apache Smash. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. Uh, speaking of which, I was actually going to say, uh, speaking of cursing, that is not Metal Gear, well, also kind of Metal Gear, but more I mean, cursing. they go hand in hand very A often. <laughs> Uh, it depends on what difficulty you're playing, but yes. <laughs> it's interesting to me that we were talking about like how we experience like curse words, because when you brought that up, I was a senior in high school and when Metal Gear Solid came out. So, you know, by seventh grade, you pretty much know all of the vernacular that you're that is in the adult language. Uh, and yet when I played Metal Gear Solid 4, 
uh, which I didn't get to until college, I like lost it. It was it was like when when uh, God, I think Octopus when she said everything's so fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, she said there's a fucking Metal Gear game. It was like that experience of being a child and learning those curse words <laughs> that came back again. It was very nostalgic. It's a big step up from Raiden saying my butt in Metal Gear Solid 2. Oh, right. <laughs> to, to the, yeah. To the <laughs> and I know Metal Gear Solid 4 raised the stakes on so many ways, and uh, that's one of them. <laughs> there, there was a big deal made about that, too. It was, uh, it was, uh, this remember, is the first yeah. Metal Gear with an F word in it. That's, oh, uh, man. I remember, I remember the speculation on that that, like, is it going to be Snake? Would Snake say that? We were Which all hoping. <laughs> and there's this sort of, it's it's really interesting how like our sense of those characters, uh, how well they match up with those, uh, those sort of like very informal behaviors because Solid Snake, you know, he's a, he's a very disciplined man. He's uh, very focused. He's got one thing that he's good at and he does it really, really well. Uh, and, uh, and so he's this like very big, larger than life person. And there's almost something about speaking very casually, like swearing that almost seems to maybe pull it down a little bit. And so I kind of am glad that it wasn't snake that did that because it's, there's this sort of mythic quality that, uh, that's retained. And, and, and I like that personally, it seems like, uh, yeah, just, it, it would have felt out of character to me. He's too sage-like. Yeah, there's something uh, almost kind of kind of samurai reserved about it. That uh, that level of emotion, the amount of emotion it takes to swear, uh, is is not necessarily. I think the I think the closest I can think of him getting is no, that is not Solid Snake. Just like indignant. <laughs> Emoting is kind of a foreign language for this guy. Yeah, exactly. I think Big Boss would say it though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, Big Boss, totally. That's that's one of the differences between them. Big Boss is more emotionally <laughs> accessible. So, uh, James, for anybody here who does not know who you are, can and, and I know this is like the, the hardest question for anybody on Earth to answer, but uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about who you are, the work you've done. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, my name is James Howell. Uh, I Call me Jay. That's uh, the name that my ears respond to. James is what it is in print and on my resume. But, well, pause, uh, pause. James is I'm, my father. I'm glad right? you said that. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I just tried out the... Uh, I'm so sorry for interrupting. I just need to say this because it's been on the back of my mind. Sure. I just tried out... I, I just downloaded and tried out for the first time Silent Hill 2 Enhanced Edition. Uh-huh. Cuz I've never I've never played that and it was it was incredible. I'm so glad I dodged the HD collection and cuz I, I I actually have a PC disc of Silent Hill 2 uh which I kind of fumbled that originally but I I'm going to get in that story offline. Um but <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is I felt a little weird about saying James a bunch after seeing like <laughs> Maria like convulsing in that like final boss like going James I'm like oh Anyways. I was wondering where you were uh, going no. with that <laughs> I was That's, like uh, no, you just want to talk it's... about Silent Hill 2 now <laughs> swear nah I didn't I didn't mean to completely throw us off but please Jay Continue. No, it's, it's actually very funny that you bring that up because there was a point like after Silent Hill 2 came out that uh, there were a couple of people who said they had this, the, the exact same sort of dissonance of, uh, of like feeling of real strong emotional resonance with uh, with Silent Hill 2, getting real big feelings from it. And uh, then sort of uh, that, you know, having that sort of reaction. So thank you for the nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't yeah. felt that since 2002. 
I, I there is. I mean, I, I've played it on PlayStation, and I actually have both discs. I'm a. I should be a millionaire in like five years. But that something about that once again going back to like enhancing, like reimagining your feelings. Like this is how I remember Silent Hill. You know how they always say like this is not how I remember a game when they play like an old game and it's not, it doesn't have the fidelity that you thought it did. Or you remember, this is how I remember silent Hill too. And you guys can cut all this out again. I feel like a big asshole for interrupting, but please Jay continue. <laughs> Thank that's you. So fu- and that, that's very funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my name is, uh, my name is James. And if you, if you look, I, um, the name that I often use with when sort of putting stuff up earlier was James Clinton Howell, which is my full name, because uh, there seemed to be enough James Howells. There's uh, I think there was a baseball player. There's a Welsh minister who wrote a lot of liturgical poetry. And I'm like, you know what, man, someone just might get us confused. So I'm going to put James Clinton Howell up there. And let me tell you, it works. No one has ever confused me for a Welsh liturgical poet. So <laughs> victory. And uh, but yes, you can call me Jay. And uh, yeah. I've, uh, I am a game developer, game designer. I've been working in video games for about 16 years and got my start, uh, with, you know, kind of like my first paid gig. (laughs) This is just like a ridiculous dream job falling out of the sky to, uh, for my, my team of cohorts to localize Hideo Kojima's, uh, weblog. And, uh, so Hideo, Hideo blog was, uh, was my first job. And that was, uh, that was amazing. Cause I was a tremendous, <clears throat> excuse me, tremendous Metal Gear fan. And, uh, from there I had a, a company that was called Delta Head Translation Group. And, uh, we, uh, were contracted with Kojima. Well, we contracted with Kojima Productions, not like on a retainer basis, but just on job by job. And we did a lot of their, um, uh, promotional uh, material for about three years, I want to say, up until after the release of Metal Gear Solid Four, and uh, and that was a blast. I was um, I had just graduated college, undergrad. That was uh, that was a wonderful sort of transition to sort of for me to suss out whether or not I wanted to go into video game development or education, which was the other sort of uh, candidate for life direction. And so I went to a master's program, did video game work, uh, wrote a lot, wrote a lot about Metal Gear Solid uh, for PlayStation, first PSM, then it's reincarnation as PlayStation official magazine, and some for Hardcore Gamer, and uh, later wrote a piece for 1up.com about war economy and Metal Gear Solid 4. And in that time, I also uh, worked on Metal Gear Solid for uh, for uh, localization, uh, and and that was uh, that was that was a, was a great memory, and that is a pleasure to be associated with that game. Uh, and I also wrote a an essay called "Driving Off the Map: Formal Analysis of Metal Gear Solid 2, which for all of the work I've done in video games seems to be one of my most enduring legacies because I routinely have people come up to me and say, thank you for writing this. This is one of the best pieces of video game criticism I've ever read. If anybody knows my uh, my gun-shy uh, nature towards self-promotions, they will understand that I absolutely have to have evidence of that for me to be able to repeat that accolade. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, and so that's fantastic. Uh, and... Um, yeah, gosh, I did a made a big old um, big big video series about Metal Gear Solid Three Foxhound Rig walkthrough, kind of showing uh, different ways that you could handle different scenarios. One of the one of the beauties of that game's design is that you can tackle the same areas about five different ways because it's just this big playground. 
And uh, so I wanted to kind of show that off in a way of kind of exploring it for myself, right? You, you, uh, you learn something better when you teach it. And that was kind of the exercise of that for me. And many people enjoyed that. Um, and uh, yeah, from there, I shifted focus to kind of other games, career video game work. And uh, currently, I mean, I am uh, now a full, full-on developer. I uh, worked on uh, Republic. Republic VR, and most recently, Marvel's Iron Man VR. I was a writer and narrative designer on that one. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Hope that wasn't uh, well. That wasn't too much of, a, of an info dump. I kept thinking uh, the whole time. I'm like, all right, well, I could I could say something about this, but then he said this, which was more interesting. But then that's also really interesting. So now I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. It's funny because I was like, I was telling a friend about this. I was like, yeah. I'm uh, I'm interviewing like James Howell and I remember him doing this essay with the like the marble background and I remember just like going into it back in the day and he's like, Oh, you mean the guy who does the foxhound big boss guides? And I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, I, I I thought I had the full story, but I I merely had a slight one slice of the pizza. Oh yeah, well, I did uh, I didn't know that was you. Um I didn't oh, know that was you who made the the the, the foxhound MGS three guide. Um that's I want to make an updated version um, now, but like, yes, I'm due to rewatch that really soon. That's, so, I, I didn't know that was you. That's so cool. Oh, also Jay, for uh, context also- here, uh, Apache is our resident speedrunner. I mean, he's a guy oh, who can cool. beat Metal Gear Solid Three literally blindfolded. No way. <laughs> not not quite. I can do all the bosses. I'm working on doing the whole game blindfolded i'm not i'm not there yet that's my so, current uh, project like if you can do like uh so if if you could do like the pain blindfolded can you do the pain blindfolded yeah of course yeah no way that yeah, train is I, I, train is insane uh, uh, i've got that on uh I've, I've posted videos of that and i've done that live on stream um, oh my god i gotta yeah, see just that. just recently he was on sgdq doing a tuxedo foxhound run Wearing a tuxedo. I, that was you. I, 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 oh yeah, man, yeah, I, I, I missed. You guys S- are like killing me. With each other. Holy shit, this is so weird. Yeah, no, I, I got to say, like, uh, because I dug so deep into that game. See, I'm kind of like the opposite of a speedrunner because one of the things I like to do is go as slowly and observantly and cu- with as much curiosity as possible. And that is not to say that that is like in any way incompatible with speedrunning, right? But like, that's what I do at the uh, and and that is that is how I spend the majority of my time and then I'll do like the run to get the rank and then I'm just like all right time to time to drive on the freeway at five miles an hour so anybody <laughs> who can do a speed run of that is like that's crazy because I, and I have I have a lot of respect for that so that's really awesome to know well my my plan with making a, a foxhound guide was trying to find the middle ground where I could make it accessible for for any person but also show how to play the game better through through learning some of the speedrun strategies because we don't really like glitch through the game in three we just play it as well as possible and that entails playing it fast as well and i totally agree with what you said about it it being a playground every single room is a playground and there's there's so many different ways to approach it and it goes from like the the faster you want to make it the harder you make it and it's like trying to find where the middle ground is where this is fast but it's also very accessible for any player oh my god oh my god do you know about the black lodge glitch the what glitch, sorry? I call it the Black Lodge glitch. And it is it does not help you in any way. But it's the it's the it's the uh the exit that they that they left in uh Svatagorny West. 
uh, you know, not not uh, not the area with the big cabin that they use in Metal Gear Online, but the area just to the left of that. Yeah. Um, the 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 little the little portal that they left in the middle of the level that soldiers can blip into. I don't know anything about this, but I need I need to know about this. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Anything about this? Yeah, this I'm just so sitting okay. here with a popcorn, like yeah. So this is this is so good. This is so good. Okay, so uh, I was trying to do a run through that was like all pain bees and see like how could I use pain bees as much as possible to do this. And it was it, the the premise was flawed. Uh, I thought that you know when you're when you uh, when you have the hornet's nest during the pain fight, you throw them down. The bees go into there. It's like why? <laughs> because they're like because we want more. Room. And uh, and so they go into this, and then you have those hornet's nests, and then you can throw the hornet's nest out, and uh, and I thought that the bees would pop out of that, and then if you're wearing the pain camo, you could use that and orchestrate it. That was wrong. However, that led to playing around in that area with all of the hornets that are there, because that is one of the areas that has the most hornets uh, environmentally. So, so, and this is where it's leading up to. Okay, so the entrance to the level that is on the right, it's the entrance that's connected to the big area with the, with the cabin. Yeah. You come into the area from that entrance, into Svatagorny uh, West. You go to the guards that are in that area. There's like a fallen log. It's the, you're kind of like right near where you're about to run into the end. And um, you sneak around, have the pain camo on, Shoot a bee's nest. They get on you, and then they go to the they go to the guards. The guard can run toward the embankment that is separating the first and second half of the level, and they'll disappear into it. And then, in the same way that if you chase a guard off screen with the bees, they'll eventually come back. Like like the bees just gave up, and the guards like, well, we gotta go back to work. Uh, they will they will <laughs> pop out of that embankment. Be- and and the only thing I can think of is that there is uh, there is a uh, there's an exit there's a little exit marker that was left there that's not actually an exit in the terrain but the marker was left there so the guard AI when they're being chased by a bee goes immediately to the nearest exit and then they blip into it and then they pop back out and so yeah you can actually chase a bunch of guards into there completely depopulate the area and then wait for them to just you know kind of whistling uh holding their uh holding their their AKs and pineapples uh and uh popping back out into the field <laughs> I, I encourage you to check it out it's a lot of fun yeah, no, I, I will I love I love stuff like that and like I I feel like the um how much info is out there about the glitches in the game is so limited and it's so separated across old YouTube videos that have like 40 views and stuff there's so many <laughs> yeah. like glitches that have been performed on YouTube that we don't even understand how they work now um, there's, there's 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 so much to be explored with MGS3 still yeah I agree and one of the things that is really interesting about that especially with Metal Gear titles <clears throat> they are so tightly developed and they uh, there's two things one they're very tightly developed and clearly QA'd back and forth and and just like every bug ironed out. And second is that uh, emulation has made this less of an obstacle, but they're 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 you know they have to pass certs. They uh, they're, they're on they're on PlayStation systems MGS one through three, and so there's a there's a, a real a, a real lockdown that they have on bugs and things like that. So when you find one, it feels like you've just cracked a code or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, no. I think your speedrunning is fantastic, and uh, I am going to uh, I'm going to watch that again. Yeah. You should, th- th- you thank you. <laughs> I think your fuck sound guy truly. Good. Jason and I were just sitting back, <laughs> letting you two go. That was <laughs> <laughs> a little tear coming down my eye. Yeah, I'm sure you guys should follow each other on Twitch or Twitters and socials, and 
I'd love to see what blossoms in this battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 3 is, uh, and Metal Gear Solid 5 has some of this too. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 has more of this than Peace Walker or MGS4 did, but not as much as Metal Gear Solid 3, is uh, just like sheer shenanigan opportunities. Uh, and, uh, and That's a great term, <laughs> shenanigan <laughs> opportunities. Yeah, one, one of the things that I think is amazing about this is the Metal Gear series overall, and this has become even more pronounced, I think, as it has gone on, particularly to Metal Gear Solid 5, which I'm replaying, is... Uh, you know, there's something very easy about shooting <laughs> and throwing a grenade that makes like the so many of the options that you have available for those responses to to challenges. Uh, you know, that's it's 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 a fairly fairly one to one uh, formula. You 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 point it and you shoot it, and nothing happens, and that's it. And the series' creativity really comes out when they lean into the stealth and the non lethal options. So Metal Gear Solid Five does a great job of this with the you know the stun arm and uh, and some of the stuff you can do with the boxes and things like that. And uh, Metal Gear Solid Three though just just really broke the bank with how much they uh, how much they explored that. I think. There's just nothing like it. There's 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 no game like it. There's no game that gives you that much um, creative freedom with with how you approach things. And I, I don't think there'll ever be a game made like it again. I don't I don't think I, I just can't see it happening. And I, I struggle to explain this all the time. Um, but I just talk about like even in speedrunning, you look at the the ten best players and every single one of them play differently. There's no, this is how you do it. There's, there's yeah. so much variation to the point where I can look at a person playing, and if it's just the game footage, I can tell you who it is. Really? So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I use that to uh, catch someone on the leaderboard once who was trying to upload another run under a different name. Oh, I see. Oh, wow. So everybody's kind of got their signature way of playing. Yeah, for sure. So That's interesting. Have any of you seen a, a YouTuber named Big Saru? Yes, I got compared to him once. It was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> he big sorrow. Like, he uh, is a like, guy who one. plays um, Metal Gear Solid and uh, usually MGS3, but he sets up what I can only describe as Rube Goldberg machines in MGS3. Yeah. And I can't even give you an example. You're just going to have to look him up and watch some of his videos, but using I every possible mechanic... He will string these reactions <laughs> together to create these crazy results where he'll start by like laying a magazine in a weird area and it'll end with like 10 guards flying in a star pattern. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen, I, I think if I haven't seen those, I've seen things like it there. Uh, there is somebody who had a video of uh, capturing some, some chain reaction or some sort of symmetrical, uh, arrangement of guards blowing up in a bunch of different directions, but using the in-game camera to like catch just the right moment that they blow right. up and then taking the picture. So it's like, not only do they set up the chain reaction, but they also manage to have the skill to get the player character in the right place and use this one tool uh, to, to create a, to kind of cap it off. Right, They know exactly where to be to, to see it and not set off an alarm. And I got to say, I have, I have so much respect for that because uh, this is not visible in the uh, in the Metal Gear Solid Three Foxhound rank walkthrough, um, but uh, almost every single every single clip of that that uh, 
even if it's just... Uh, so here's one way that you can run up to this first vantage point because I find it easier to sort of... Uh, just my... Uh, it comes from uh, partly a background in teaching, but also uh, referencing the way that I learn is to sort of build incrementally. So if there's a level that has basically three parts in it, find multiple ways of getting to the first step and then start to focus on the second and then sort of build up from there. But every single one of those smaller segments uh, easily has like five or ten different takes behind it. And so, uh, and, and there's also, uh, so there's strategizing, there is uh, making sure to represent the best version of the strategy to the person, and there's also camera work. And, uh, and so there are so many different considerations that go into every single one of those shots. It took, I mean, it took years to do for a reason. I was also doing other things, of course, but um, yeah. So, so when I see something like that, that is so well captured, I, I, I have so much respect for it because I know how much work goes into that in terms of patience and, uh, and execution. So I, I know you can't talk too much in terms of details, but as a game designer yourself, how much of that philosophy has sort of, how much of that have you carried with you into the work you make? Um, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm making, uh, I'm, I'm exploring Unity right now. My, my background is in design and my experiences in design, uh, narrative design, and less on the technical mechanical side, but I'm sort of, uh, sort of broadening that by, by hopping into Unity and, and building what's basically a walking sim. And I'm finding that many of, uh, many of the design approaches that uh, Kojima Productions have, have taken with the Metal Gear games, you know, I obviously studied these games pretty intensely <clears throat> uh, with, with MGS2 forward. And one of the biggest approaches that they take that I always keep close to heart is to uh, to make sure that interactive design and narrative complement each other and reflect each other and also functionally are the same thing. Um, I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is one of the best examples of this because that is a game whose story is about being a sequel and it is also <laughs> a sequel. And that's uh, that's the sort of thing that... Uh, what I, you know, I don't, I don't know if this was part of the creative process of it, but clearly there was some awareness of this as being, this is a sequel. So what if we make a game about the experience we're having, you know, making this and the, the sort of the, the self-referential aspects of the Kojima Productions games is not something that I've reproduced in my own work. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that I think that they have, uh, they have excellent claim to and, and do very well. Um, it's not the sort of thing that I myself create, but the thing that is important is to make sure that whether it's referential or just simply uh, coming from the same place, that narrative is built on design, that you look to the mechanics, you look to the flow, uh, you look to what can be done, and then you write to that. And, uh, and that is one of the biggest things that, uh, that I've taken from, from sort of all my, my deep dives into Kojima games. And they have had the opportunity to do that on some very impressive, very focused levels like uh, designing the hardware, right? Like uh, uh, Peace Walker uh, was designed to hardware. Uh, that game, there's there are many features of the game that make more sense if you think of it as a PSP game. Uh, and so things like that, that they've had the opportunity to do, which have resulted in some very one-of-a-kind games. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of a long way around, but that's uh, that's one of the biggest things that I've carried with me. And And some of that too was expressed in driving off the map. 
that that I'm so, awareness of being that? well some some of what you just said of that awareness of being a sequel was was part of driving off the map as well yes yeah driving off the map was very much about how uh the game signals its status as a sequel not necessarily by the number that's on the box but by how the mechanics are elaborated how the story beats show up and how those story beats then relate to each other um because it's not about new there's some new material in terms of the story beats and the like and that that mostly happens at the end and the mechanics that with Raiden but uh, what changes is the relationships between them and uh that shift in relationships between known uh known content is intellectually interesting to me and also I find creatively instructive I think part of the the what you can attribute the longevity of that article to is that a lot of people who played that game could tell that something deeper was going on, but they weren't able to articulate it. And, and when you wrote that article, you were able to articulate a lot of those feelings. You know what? I, I attest, I, I attribute a quote from our good, from the good men at red letter media. It is you, you might've not noticed it, but your brain did. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much the summary of 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 driving off the map for me. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, one of the things that uh, that I remember when I put it up there, I'm like, should I even publish this? This is just so like everybody knows this. Ocelot says it. What? Well, here goes. <laughs> 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 Turned out here goes was the way to go. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's one of the things that I think criticism can do. Um, is to speak to shared experience and to find a way of, of sort of um, bringing out something that 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 people can feel and that they can identify, but maybe not uh, maybe not express. And uh, you know, I th- I know that there's there's an idea that criticism ruins an experience that that, that analyzing it uh, takes some of the magic away from it. Uh, but I think that maybe that's that's just maybe doing it in a way that is sort of maybe overly rational and doesn't give enough honor to the, the intuitive experience. Because I think that once you read something that is good criticism and then you jump back into uh, the work that they're talking about, maybe not that same day, but maybe a week later. So you've had time to sort of forget the, uh, forget the details and let it settle in on a, on a gut level. You can enjoy it in a new way and enjoy it more. Um, And that's, that's what I, that's what I'd like to try to do. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that I seem to have succeeded at least once <laughs> in all my efforts. Have Have you had as many people come to you with uh, similar comments about monstrous births? Because I don't see that one discussed as much, and 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 I and I wish it were. I try to tell people about that more often. But personally speaking, I'm I'm not an enormous fan of Metal Gear Solid Four. As, as I, um, I picked that up. <laughs> Some you people gotta, may know gotta, this about me. Really? Really? <laughs> if you watch any, I don't know if you've watched this show, but if you listen to any episode, please at least listen to the one about Nitroid popping off about MGS4. But yes, it, it, the title speaks for itself. But you are by far the only person I've heard who has made a coherent argument in favor of that game and has made it make some kind of sense to me. Agreed. So I try I'm, to I try uh, to link people to that article as often as I can. Well, that's awesome. I thank you because I have just kind of assumed that it 
sort of, uh, it, it missed whatever crest that driving off the map hit and uh, kind of just sort of dwindled and disappeared. And I'm like, you know what? You know what? Things things have a habit of coming back around, so I'm going to keep this up. And, and I did. So thank you. I appreciate you linking people to it. I also kind of owe um, you because because thanks to you I am quoted in an official piece of Metal Gear merchandise so I can never I can never uh, forget that. <laughs> and it's, oh, was that the show me? That's the show maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I forgot about that. Wait, we need some context, please. Uh, this was uh, this was this was um, uh, a piece of promotional material that Kojima Productions put out for E3 2006, I think. Yeah, 2006. And. and and it was kind of a playoff. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there was an E3 publication called the show daily. And the show maybe was sort of a, a parody of that, that, um, uh, was all Kojima productions focused material. And I wrote a couple of pieces for that. Uh, one of them was about metal gear online, the, the subsistence version. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's like one that, sentence. It's practically nothing, but but I'm in it. So I'm like, yes, I got it. Just barely. I got my I got my toe in the door. Oh, one of the things I wanted was folks who were knowledgeable and, and passionate about it. And <laughs> that's just you. So uh, so you were you were kind of a perfect candidate for that. For Still sure. got one of those. Gotta yeah, I, look I, at I found, it a, found a couple of copies of it the other day and I'm like, wow. I'm older. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. It's it's kind of a shame though because you used to be able to read that among a lot of other things online and as you know uh, as things change within Konami within other companies um, a lot of those old websites sort of fall to the wayside and I've noticed that you sort of have to rely on the archive the internet archive to to sort of pick up the slack and they don't always they don't always catch it. And um, yeah. the show maybe yeah. was one of those things that didn't quite get fully captured by the Internet Archive. So at the moment, there's really no way to read that. Yeah, we uh, th- this would be this would be an interesting uh, sort of update to Metal Gear Solid 2 to kind of look at, which is not information pruning, but information decay, which I think that we are absolutely encountering now, especially those of us. Who, uh, who nerds that we are, were, uh, were on the Internet before uh, handheld devices. And, uh, and, uh, and so a lot of the stuff that we know existed in that is, is no longer accessible. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't know it existed, then you wouldn't even know to think to look for it, but we do know that it existed and it's not there. And that's, there's uh, there's part of a cultural conversation that leads up to the present moment that always includes past conversation. And when that past conversation is gone, uh, I think that it risks uh, creating some sort of, I want to say confusion about about present meaning uh, that's really abstract and maybe no i get vague, what you mean but- because you can you can have a conversation with somebody about any topic really and and refer to something that you have a clear memory of that was accessible at one point that you have a you know that you can recall but that they may know have have no frame of reference for it they have no ability to know anything about and you know, that's a fact to you, but it's rumor to them. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I recently discovered that <clears throat> Internet Archive picked up the uh, picked up the surface of, but didn't get the pun unintended substance of, uh, but I'm going to keep it, 
is the <laughs> uh, the little codes that you get when you beat Metal Gear Solid Two, uh, or and and you can um, you put them into an online database, and your records are are uploaded there. Um, I think I found the page that Konami had hosted when MGS Two was live. Uh, where you put in the code, but it doesn't, uh, whatever widget is on the back end of that, that actually translates that into uh, kind of a record uh, does, didn't got, get captured and kind of, kind of, kind of broke my heart a little bit. I felt like I was looking at a headstone. Now I, I may be wrong about this and I don't know if it was ever finished, but I do uh, recall that there was someone who either was trying to, or had uh, sort of reverse engineered those codes. No way. Yeah. Oh man, that's so beautiful. I've got to, I've got to look Very back good. into that because I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I I know there was at least an attempt to figure out what those codes were and how to get the information out of them. Although then the problem becomes once you know how they work, you can give yourself perfect stats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that easily anyway now with like you know you can just input right, the information yeah. on the trainer so and hit the score screen. So like you you can I guess do it's that not with really the, a concern. You can do it with the dev save as well on both two and three. Um, but I, I, I just felt like when Konami re-released uh, the old PC version on GOG, like they put it on there, they should have put the website up again. I, I really feel like that was a, a missed opportunity by them, and I slated them for it on Twitter, and I think they put me on a shit list because they never retweet anything I post anymore. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I did GDQ and they didn't even tweet about it. <laughs> there was also a, um, a like a, a little package you could download uh, if you got all the dog tags, if I remember right, where oh that you get like a zip file full of wallpapers and sound effects. Oh, cool! Oh man, I remember. Um, I remember when this would have been around the time I think Metal Gear Solid Four had not been released yet. It was between Subsistence and MGS Four. There was the Otto Clock. Uh, yes, I have the code for that. Still. I have that on my Mac. Yeah, I love that thing. That was so cool. Yeah, they had a they had a Mac version and a Windows version, and and you can still use the Windows version, sort of. Um, but the Mac yeah, that, version was coded for Power PC, so it's essentially unusable now. Oh man! Right. Yeah, there are, there. Are, sorry, go on. I was just gonna say it. Yeah, this was back in college, but yeah, I had it too. <laughs> yeah, I know that's uh, that, that that was the sort of thing that kind of felt like I think there was a. Uh, Tobedashid, uh, a, a Metal Gear Acid 2 themed wallpaper that was, a, it was a dynamic wallpaper that, uh, there was a, there was a sort of, um, a scrolling pattern of all the guns and stuff that, and cards from, uh, from Metal Gear Acid 2. And, uh, and this was a dynamic wallpaper based off that, but th- those are little things that, and that was from the same era because Acid 2 and, um, and, and, and subsistence were sort of, uh, they graduated at the same time <laughs> from Kojima Productions, um, but uh, but yeah, those are the kind of things where it felt like a little gimmicky stuff in Metal Gear that makes it feel like the developers are really paying attention to you. Um, that uh, felt kind of felt like that bleeding over into real life, and that's a real good feeling. They're bringing back the um, I don't want to say they're bringing it back because that's not quite accurate, but uh, for the first time in a while, uh, Kojima is putting out uh, sort of a competitive ranking with the director's cut of death stranding. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I guess with the racing mini game that they put in that. Which, okay. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. There's, there's the racing. And then if you saw like, there's essentially like the death stranding version of VR missions 
where you like some missions you specialize oh, in, right, in certain right. weapons, like the the I forget what the fuck it's called, but the one that like you can take weapons um, or not take weapons, like take packages from the mules. Um, they they showed you doing oh, essentially like the sticky like, gun, yeah. Yeah, the sticky gun. Thank you. They showed essentially showed like a VR missions, but in Death Stranding, you have the timer. You have the well, huh. this time. Oh my god! If VR missions had online rankings, holy fuck! Um, but yeah, no, it's it's very, it's going to be competitive. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. What did you think of Death Stranding? I've been wanting to ask you this for a while. I have a uh, I, I have a very. And I, I, I want to answer this at, the, at one point uh, later. I do want to get back to monstrous births because uh, now that you've asked that question, it, the thought is processing in the back of my head. But um, <clears throat> I have a very uh, particular relationship with Death Stranding that is uh, kind of a tearjerker. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Go for it. So I had I had a very long-time buddy named Taxes, who was a tuxedo cat. And uh, I had him since 2003. And he, uh, during the last years of his life, he was kind of, uh, he's kind of in a rough spot, needed fluids, needed medicine, that sort of thing. And when Death Stranding came out, he was, he was on his last legs. And so one of the few things that we could do together was, I mean, he was just laying around and it was just sort of like a matter of time of making sure that he had a good quality of life um, until, uh, until it was time to go is he had this little puff bed, this sort of like really, really comfortable little bed that cats with crank, with cranky joints can just sort of sink into. And, uh, and so the only thing we could do was I would put him in that and he would just be purring, really happy to be near me. And I would put him up and put him on the couch beside me and I would play death stranding because I didn't want to do anything that was too attention getting. I didn't want anything that would cause too much physical tension in my body because animals can kind of read and respond to that. And I wanted him to have mm -hmm. a chill time. And so it's like, I'm just sitting there, I'm playing 150 hours of death stranding, my little, little BB right there, because he's, <laughs> he's hanging out with me and chilling. And, uh, I beat that game, uh, the week before, uh, he had to go and I've never played it since. <laughs> oh man. So I'm I so have, sorry. Well, thank you. It was, it was, it was a while back and, uh, and it, it, he was, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. But, uh, but I do have critical thoughts about Death Stranding that I'm not, that I'm, that I'm okay to share, but that's, uh, that's kind of my big Death Stranding story. So it that, was, so that game resonates my, for you very differently. Let me get my yeah. tissues first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's why I wanted to, to give that warning that it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a very personal ex encounter with the game. Oh God! And, and that last mission that, too. Oh no! Mm -hmm. Don't talk about that. No, uh -huh. I got it. It was uh, it was <laughs> it it was without it intending to. It was very. It wound up being very expressive of uh, of my moment, and I appreciated that. So uh, I am uh, not averse to uh, to hard emotions showing up in art especially if they can sort of carry something real for you that you might uh, have a harder time shouldering yourself and uh actually that's kind of a kind of a darkly funny way of referring to the first mission that you have to that same facility anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh but yeah no um that's uh so yeah it wound up being very expressive of, uh, of a challenging moment and i was very grateful that uh that that uh, that emotional beat happened in the game, but as far as Death Stranding on the whole goes, uh, that was uh, man. 
<laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> so what are you interested in Death Stranding? Maybe we can start there. Um. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's okay. I'm just going to kick in and say this, starting off with this. Every time I talk about Death Stranding, I always explain that I feel like the micro, that is the gameplay, but also mm-hmm. in a sense, the minor characters that you interact with, particularly on the top of my mind, the elder, the fanatic, um, I don't know. Uh, the, anyways, my point is, is like, I really enjoyed those experiences. The little details that you see in each shipment. Moment to um, moment stuff. The little moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The little moments that you find messing around with BB. What was that term you said? Shenanigans? The, shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Little <laughs> shenanigans. Um, I got to say one of my favorite things to do in that game, I think you could, you can like grab like a, a package and just like, oh, like, like chuck it straight at somebody. Chuck it. Oh yeah. And that is, that is one of the <laughs> best, most satisfying things. It's just, it's very visceral and it, it, it impacts, right? And they got the crunch on that real good. Spoilers. Anyway, sorry, go on. No, you're good. Spoilers. I love that you do that and like essentially do that in the Higgs fight where you just like <laughs> count his ass with the PlayStation. But this is my whole point is like the mac- the micro experience was excellent. I just, that was very fun. But the macro, and when I mean macro, I mean like the context and the background of it, it didn't really resonate with me. I, I, I like, I, there were some moments that I really enjoyed uh, particularly, you know, we actually had Tommy Earl Jenkins on our show, so shout yeah, out remember, to him. Yeah, I remember. Remember. Uh, and like some of his moments, like they really resonated with me. But from overall, like it, it, you know, the 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 story, the overarching story, didn't hit me as much as those those micro experiences. So when you kind of explained how Death Stranding resonated with you, and then you went to be like, okay, from a critical perspective, well, I kind of felt like we were related. Like that was sort of a relatable (laughs) feeling. I don't know. I hope hope I'm making sense. I I follow you. Uh, What I enjoyed about the game. So, so this is, this is coming from, uh, coming from a background in criticism. And also this is part of my background in poetry. I have two brains happening when I'm playing something. Uh, one is the the pleasure brain of like, am I enjoying this? Do I think this is fun? Uh, am I getting really excited by this? And the other one is the, uh, I don't want to call it non-judgmental, but I want to call it paused judgmental, which is the critical brain where I'm like, you know what? I don't care if I enjoy this. I'm going to ask questions about it. I'm going to see if uh, see if there's something valuable here because ultimately a lot of the things that have been some of the most valuable art to me have been things that I did not enjoy, but that uh, I was curious about. And that curiosity was then rewarded with, uh, with, a, with a different kind of experience. So I've got both of those things going on at the same time. Uh, I, again, because, because there was sort of a closed door on that game for me, like where I was like, okay, I'm done playing this. That's, that's, that's part of an experience that is, that's packaged away. Uh, the critical, uh, the, the kind of, uh, experience that I need for a critical response, which is to go through and to replay is a little weaker than the enjoyment one. Uh, for what I enjoyed, I enjoyed the moment to moment very much. Uh, I enjoyed there there's, they, they managed to hit this really nice middle ground between uh turning the brain on 
and banality <laughs> because mm. uh, like yeah. sometimes you're doing the same thing so many times, but it feels good because you're doing in them in just slightly different ways. And that feels like there is a common language, a, a common design language that you're asked to refer back to moment to, at moment to my moment. But then you're asked to sort of innovate on it in different ways, whether it's different landscapes. I actually think that some of the areas where I had the most variety was uh, on the other side of the elders uh, cabin where there's a sort of like large ravine. There's a mule camp in the middle of it. And yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there's this one guy you have to sort of uh, get a rope and and descend down to. Uh, that's the, an example. The collector, I think it was. Collector, yeah, that's it. I actually don't think I ever finished his uh, his side oh, quest. Getting down to that dude was the worst. But this yeah. is what I'm talking about. Is like the like each character. I felt like each character, despite being these essentially these objectives or these point A to point B or these essentially objective points, I, I felt like the gameplay gave them character. I think there's something I forget if it's like if it's order number 420, I'm probably bullshitting on this or it's it's made up shit. <laughs> but apparently order 420 is the elder sleeping medicine and it's like we all know what that sleeping medicine is. Let's not Oh yeah. Him. Um Yeah, no, the the elder uh, I got to him after uh, after he went in BT and um, uh, and I, I was like, "Whoa!" I'm trying to avoid that, okay? Like <laughs> I've I delivered to that man. I heard that you could do that, and I delivered to that man every day. But that that's essentially what I'm talking about is like those little moments, mm -hmm. those little details give them so much character. Yeah, I uh, how, before I before I continue with what I've experienced, how spoilery are we? Are we you know, going to be on Death Stranding? I mean, uh, if anybody's listening, we're about to get fine, into right? major Death Stranding spoilers. Click <laughs> off now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now you're good. We'll do, we'll do timestamps. How about that? All right, that sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, if if oh, this thing is like if director's cuts coming out, uh, there might be a lot of people ready to experience it for the first time, uh, who were waiting for this, uh, waiting for the substance subsistence version. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, just to to kind of honor whatever they're going to experience. Uh, dude, the other day I was calling it Death Stranding Integral. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not uh, not off mark, and I'm actually really glad to see. Uh, uh, I, I'm really glad to see a return to an expanded edition because one of the things that uh, another thing that I really like about um, Kojima Productions' sort of general approach to design is what emerged in the VR missions for Metal Gear Solid One and Metal Gear Solid Two, which is having created basically the VR missions are like. Uh, they they feel like QA demos where it's like, okay, we have to really test to see if our mechanics are as tight as we think they are. So here are a bunch of spaces with like zero asset coverage. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to throw our mechanics in there and see if it works. And they made like an extra package out of it. That's how it feels to me. And uh, and I have a lot of respect for that because that shows a lot of love and pride in, in the system. Not just, not not in the way where it's like, it has to be so airtight that uh that only then do you feel like showing it off it's like hey you know what this thing's got uh this thing's is is like 90 percent pun unintended 90 percent solid and that other 10 percent, you have to learn how to break this and play this like a qa professional in order to get the top score have at it and uh and i i, I have a lot of love for that it also um, gives them an opportunity to get weird with it in in not, yeah! not just mechanical ways but just uh, like the photography missions in MGS2. Well, I was actually going to say, it's interesting that you were talking about the lack of assets, because what I remember from VR Mission was like some of the like random assets that they added, like, for instance, the mystery missions, 
You know, you get like a pair oh, of glasses. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a mission ten is like a, just a bajillion random assets that are just red herrings. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's that's funny. No, I, I'm thinking just like the fact that most of the spaces are sort of these uh, like monochromatic, like just right. VR blocks, and and that's so. But that's interesting because if you take out that overhead, then you have more budget for big special things like Gorillagon, which. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I, I, I love I love Gorillagon. I love Janola. I love Mecha Janola. I, I I wish to see more Kaiju Metal Gear. I hope they do that in Death Stranding with these missions. There's got to be some weird ones. Oh man, that would be. Uh, I mean, they they kind of do have a Kaiju in that game. Come to think of it, stop making uh, me want to buy a PlayStation Five. I'm about to buy a house. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, I, I I miss the uh, I miss the rush on a PS5, so I'm on PS4 Pro for a while. But uh, yeah, that'll be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in terms of um, in terms of moment to moment, I agree. I think that there's a lot to there's a lot to remember. I think that part of the beauty of that experience comes from again repetition and having it be chill enough to be something you can do while idle. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's this sort of familiarity that I think we get with virtual spaces once we, uh, tread that ground often enough and Death Stranding leans into that both with the kind of actions that it asks you to do repetitively and also with the size and, and love given to the landscape that itself. Yes. Um, I, and to that point, I love how the game, the way the game progresses difficulty wise, difficulty here wise with the actual environment. Like you said, it's a language and it, it's able to because it's so standardized, for lack of a better term, you're the concepts are so standardized, but complex that when you hit those difficulty curves, it feels like a very organic challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that, I have I, I always um, I, I always wanted to go back and spend more time in the snow covered areas because I think I spent the least time there and uh, also had some of the best times at it. Uh, oh, God, there's this. So there's this one slope. See, what's great about the landscape is I can actually remember where these things are in relation to each other, even yes. not having not played it for like a year. Dude, um, yes. <laughs> this is where it's it's at a really high peak in the snow-covered area. You have to descend down it, and at the very bottom, you uh, you you pop back into one of the sort of like greener landscape areas. Um, and it's it's a really sharp... Uh, well, decline, because that's the direction I was going on it, is, um, and so there was a package that I wanted, and something happened, I tripped, I had my, you know, sonic ring explosion of like, <laughs> oh no, my things! And, and, and the packages are beeping, BB's yeah. <laughs> There's this one package that was just out of reach, and it was a little further down the slope, and I'm like, alright, gotta be real careful, real careful, get it. Jane, stop this crazy thing! And then all of a sudden, like I fell, and then all my packages <laughs> fell, and I kept tumbling without being able to stop oh, down the entire mountainside. And I finally stopped. And I'm like, okay, finally, the one package that caused all this, I can get it. And I reached out for it, and it happened again. And oh, it's just like, no, it's like three minutes of just barrel rolling down <laughs> this mountainside. Uh, and have you ever I'm seen like, Kung Pao under the fist? I oh. have a long time ago. It's like the baby rolling down. 
it's kind of like uh, Homer Simpson in that episode of this yeah. episode of Simpsons you know, where he falls down the mountain after he goes after yes. Bart, and then and then like the uh, the the helicopter gets him, and then he falls down again. <laughs> yeah, and he gets into the ambulance, like <laughs> crashes into a tree that's like five feet in front of it. <laughs> Death then, Stranding, yeah. in a lot of ways, remind it like it seems like a multi-million-dollar version of Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. In some ways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, you know? uh, I was, uh, I was struck by how quap-like the initial mechanics felt. Where it's like, oh, it's a balance simulator. Okay, okay. I've, uh, I've, I've had, I've had, I've, I've, I've worn a rucksack before. I, I know this feeling. And uh, I was like, I wonder when this is going to start feeling normal. And after a while, it did. And uh, then I had, then I didn't have to think about it quite as much anymore. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that mechanic right there, the balancing mechanic, uh, really lets you know that you're in for something different right at the start. It's funny, when everybody started, the game came out and everybody did like the walking simulator meme, part of me was like, that's kind of right, because there's something very intuitive about the walking in this game. And like you said, how you sort of progress and learn and again, how intuitive it becomes. On the on the level of of narrative deployment, I, I felt like the the stories that you get while doing deliveries were the most impactful because I was the most involved in them. Yes, and totally agree. Uh, and I feel like the uh, it's it's hard to I don't know. The cutscenes were all welcome. They were all very well paced and they were all exquisitely done. So that's not to, to really speak against them. It's just to say that as a player, when I when I am engaged in a story, then I feel a greater connection to it because I kind of am co-authoring it. And that that felt very good. Uh, something that I, I really enjoyed about. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And also just the VO work. Uh, was was exquisite that it the 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 quality of life touches. I, I'm glad you mentioned Tommy Earl uh, Jenkins because uh, he because he, did he freaking such a killed good job. it. I know, yeah, right? So good, he, so, uh, so good. He had some of the most emotional scenes and was one of the most complex characters in that uh, in that game. And he got the range just right. Uh, it was it was it was stunning. Um, but uh, but yeah no uh, the 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 th- the part of the game that struck me as most interesting on on a sort of thematic level is precisely uh, how integral economic unity is to uh, developing any kind of political consciousness or any kind of sense of belonging that uh, that trade is crucial to uh, to maintaining a social fabric and. You know, it's uh, Sam Porter Bridges. Uh, my wife and I were, were joking that every time we had somebody from UPS or the USPS delivering something to us, we needed to thank Sam Porter Bridges during the <laughs> pandemic because it wound up being uh, being very appropriate. Keep on keeping on. They yep, um, exactly. Kojima Productions actually made these um, these two little pamphlet type decals that you can stick on your door to thank postal workers and deliverymen. No way. Yeah. Oh man, like, I missed that. That's they're beautiful. They're like death stranding ones. I'll have to send them to you later. I'd love to see that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love it, to get um, hold of those. It's it's interesting that you talk about the concept of, you know, we have to have a, a, a we have to have trade, we have to have an, an economic system that that depends on each other in order for that to have that connection. Because I, I did understand that and appreciated that from again the the overarching story. 
But I felt like I resonated with that message more. And and this is a bit of a controversial topic because some people think it essentially extinguished the difficulty. But I kind of felt that way when I would get other items from other Sam Porter bridges. Sam Porters, some Porters. Like, <laughs> you know, when you're in a boss fight and, you know, all of a sudden you see a naked ghost Sam, like, throw you a blood launcher, rocket launcher. Yeah. Or, like, you are... Cairo boots are at the very their very last leg. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about know, that mechanic. Suddenly, you find like another pair of boots to, just to get you to your last point. Like having that, knowing that I'm able to support other people like that, and those people are supporting me. I, I know it's in some ways the way it's programmatically, it's a bit artificial, but it still works. It still resonates um, a little more for me than you know, the, again, the overarching plot. Yeah. I, uh, I felt like that is an example where, uh, I mean, this is the best training is kind of like Kojima productions shot at like a souls like, and I felt like so much of what you were doing with delivering packages was reflected in the multiplayer multiplayer element that they had. And I felt like that was that was actually as, uh, an example of the kind of design unity that uh, that that I really think of as being a, a trademark of of of, of KP Games. Um, and uh, basically, the thing about package delivery, as anybody who has had a package delivered, which we all sure have in the past year, <laughs> knows, is uh, is package delivery is 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 one of the most basic forms of asymmetrical communication. Uh, it's, uh, it, it is, it is something that somebody sends. They are not present for its pickup. They are not, you are not present for its delivery, but the whole thing works because there is this sort of element of trust involved that, uh, that I can pass an envelope onto the USPS. The USPS will do their own thing and then they'll pass it on and leave it at the doorstep or in the mailbox, whoever it is. It's all asymmetrical. Nobody, nobody makes contact. Uh, yet at the same time, it is also one of the most important forms of contact because it is one of the things that allows us to achieve a sort of uh, political and economic unity. And so the gameplay really digging deep into that and letting other players, letting other players uh, support you, whether and I forget how that happens in real time. I remember that happening to me, but I don't remember how I contributed to that. But um but yeah, the fact that that can happen in real time, but you also know it is asymmetrical because I don't believe the multiplayer was uh, was one-to-one enough where yeah. somebody was actively doing it. it. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a black box. Yeah, but but the thing is, like, I know for sure that I never threw somebody something. At least I don't remember doing that. And so I'm thinking, like, okay, so this is asymmetrical as well. So the gameplay is asymmetrical. Uh uh, the messaging is asymmetrical. The delivery is asymmetrical. This is entirely about building a community on asymmetrical communication. And I found that uh, I, I, I critically fascinating. And I thought uh, demonstrated a, a kind of unity, a, a, a unified vision that I thought was very strong. Once again, my point stands. You just did this thing where it's like, I may have not noticed. I mean, you may have not noticed, <laughs> but your brain did. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. me- it's meta narratively cogent. So, well, I, yeah, like, I, like, I mean, like, I, I, it's, it's, it's crazy because, like, I feel like, yeah, like, I understood why it worked as a meta narrative. Like, I felt it. Like, like, like you said, criticism is taking a feeling and putting it into like a conceptual context. And like, I feel mm-hmm. like I just had this experience because I didn't ever I, like I knew about it because we just talked about it, like the certain 
way like a certain little details but i never thought of that asymmetrical aspect and how it related to actually delivering so yeah that was um that that's that's an example of just in terms of my own process that's an example of uh having that critical brain not really care if i'm interested in something but sort of be curious because a lot of times i was playing it i was kind of like i think that i'm you know you kind of uh, when I play a video game now, especially after like, okay, so as an example, uh, I will do 30 minutes of yoga and then I will go play Resident Evil 8 and I'm like, wow, I am now super tense and I just completely washed out all the benefit I got from that yoga. <laughs> and so, hell yeah. One of the but one of the things that I do is like when I'm playing a game, it's like kind of like pause and sort of check in with how am I feeling? Am I feeling tense physically? What's, what's going on? And so I kind of like have these sort of like just overall sensations of like, I'm really into this. I'm really on edge. I think I need to take a step back. And one of the things that you do come to realize, like I'm bored and there's a kind of relaxation that is not quite engaged. And Death Stranding actually provoked, prompted more of those responses than the sort of like tension uh, moments such that when I actually fought the mules, I had to sort of rouse myself <laughs> and sort of, uh, and it, it's, uh, boredom is maybe not the right word for it, but, uh, but I actually don't think boredom is, is, is a negative thing. Uh, it's almost a more of a hypnotic absorbing state and that being in that and not really caring whether or not I was excited and uh, sort of enabled me to sort of process these things and sort of observe what was going on. So just in terms of critical to process, sum it up in sloppy interested. vernacular it is a very chill game <laughs> yes it I is a chill it, game <laughs> i think it pulled back um an extremely old game design philosophy which i felt has been lost for a long time and i have 44 hours in death stranding when it came out i watched other people play it to see the cutscenes. I, I i thought this game wasn't made for me i'm, I'm you know i'm not going to enjoy this game it wasn't made for me i hope other people enjoy it but i'm gonna you know see what he did because you know, I, I love the guy. I want to see his work, right? Um, but I knew it wasn't for me. And having played it, I definitely still feel it's it, it's just not a game that was made for me. Um, but there's an old... So the original um, game designer from World of Warcraft, and I don't remember his name, but he was on an interview once, and he was talking about how in the game, your health and, and mana and resources would deplete, and it would make you, uh, you know, you'd sit in the game and eat and drink, right, to regain your health and mana. And during that time, mm -hmm. they specifically made it this way. So during that time, you would be sat stationary in the world, and you would look around at everything, and you would plan out, you know, you would, you would be forced to, like be immobile for a little bit and you would look at the map and you would work out where you're going and how to approach terrain and how to tackle the next quest or whatever you were doing. Um, I think Death Stranding does that, does that exact same thing. It forces you to oh, be yeah. stationary and just look at the world. And that is gone from games. Like games are now just like, go, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. You know, it makes you rush for the game. I mean, even World of Warcraft's gone that way, right? Yes. It, it's just a, a big rush. Let's not get started on that. <laughs> So I, I think it's cool that they that they looked backwards um, at old game design philosophies and put that into a modern game. That's 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 my favorite thing about it. I'd say. Yeah, I think that in terms of in terms of priorities, it emphasizes play rather than game, which is uh, play is sort of that sort of unstructured unstructured free form thing you do as uh, as a kid, and then you know as as an adult when you're paying attention to, to things, uh, to when you're sort of like lost in things. Uh, and, and game is, uh, there's almost more of a science behind it. You know, it's about rules, it's about restrictions and limitations, and that is valuable to be aware of. But 
different, uh, and it's also, I mean, it's craft for game design, right? Like you have to have to be aware of that, and have to lean on it. And Death Stranding absolutely does. But one of the things that uh, sort of my understanding of, of what you're describing is they leave room for play and play is cognitive as well as physical. Yeah. It's uh, allowing yourself to sort of wander. There's um, he's a Walt Whitman Walt Whitman, uh, he, he, he valorizes, I think, creative loafing is what he calls it. <laughs> and, uh, and I, uh, I also value that as a, as a person who enjoys being alive and uh, am, am pretty happy when, uh, when, uh, when a game does well, that Well, this too. is essentially the ethos of, of let's call them Neo Kojima Productions with uh, Homo Ludens, those who play. Can you tell me a little more about that? I actually know less about that than um, I think you do. I probably know about as much as you do, honestly, uh, because it is sort of a little cryptic. But uh, I guess I guess the the idea of Homo Ludens comes from I can't remember if it was from a book or 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 what. But the, but as as far as Kojima Productions treats it, uh, the idea is that as the world advances, as we become more technologically proficient we become less of a species geared towards work and more of a species geared towards leisure. Um, and mm -hmm. that uh, is sort of the philosophy behind new Kojima productions is homo ludens is a, is a new type of human that is focused more on exploring ways of play than exploring ways of work. Have you, uh, have you read, ah, oh, why am I blank on his name? The anthropologist and, 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 and late medieval historian, uh, wrote Homo Ludens. Um, Hutzinger, that's it. Uh, have you read Homo Ludens by I Johann Hutzinger? Okay, I might be mispronouncing his last name. Uh, I, I have been told that I do, and I don't remember if I internalized that, I, internalized the right but one. But I think that's, yeah, that's that's what it. I was trying to think of. Like, I'm aware of it, but I but I have not read it. <laughs> I, need, I need to read yeah, more, so. It's, Hutzinger is, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty, I wouldn't say breezy read, but it's pretty, uh, pretty accessible. Uh, Hutzinger is really good because he was a scholar who, uh, the, it's very hard to find scholars like this now because specialization and, uh, and um, accreditation is more important now than it was in the uh, late 19th century. Uh, and uh, he was like, well, you know what? I'm interested in this. I'm going to write a bunch about it and probably be 90% right and 10% super inspirational. <laughs> and so uh, he's got another book, The Autumn of the Middle Ages, which is his interest in sort of uh, late French Middle, Ang Middle Asia uh, art and history. Uh, but so then he turned his attention to games and play. And that's what Homo, Homo Ludens is. Um, and uh, it is about play as the structuring unit of society, uh, about how uh, anthropology, an anthropology based on play uh, would be more fruitful for understanding where we are and where we're going than uh, other anthropologies. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it that sounds exactly like connects very yeah. closely to what you're describing. Yeah, then, then that's what yeah. they're referencing. Yeah. So I recommend it. Uh, also, there's um, if you read it, there is uh, I, I have my own podcast uh, called the Delta Ed Podcast, where we talk about poetry and games. And one of my most recent guests has a has a has a podcast called Game Study Buddies, where I think they talk about that. So if you uh, if you uh, read that and want to hear more hear more about that, they're very thoughtful on it too. So that could maybe uh, lean into some of. Uh, kind of understanding maybe, maybe more where the new KP is coming from. So in the worst segue ever, on the subject of reading more, tell us a bit about Monstrous Births. 
Oh, yeah, sure. Monstrous births. Uh, well, I mean, it's not that bad of a segue because it was also very divisive. Uh, and uh, I feel like Metal Gear Solid 4 is... Uh, I feel like Metal Gear Solid 4 is an experiment that is... It's an experiment that includes little hooks to kind of understand what is happening in it, and it is not super obvious about it. It doesn't sort of push it into your face. And I think the the monstrous births it developed as uh, its thesis, which is that uh, after enough sequels and after enough remixing of different elements and changing their relationships. The world of Metal Gear has gotten defragmented such that the wrong associations are connected to the wrong figures. And so by going through and uh, taking out the Patriots AI and reducing and, and basically unlocking all of these characters from the shackles of being in sequels, uh, then it's able to, to effectively defragment uh, the, the narrative world of Metal Gear and characters are able to assume their rightful destinies. And that's that's kind of the high level of it, uh, and it it came from there's this one little mechanic that I think is that I still think is very cool, in uh, in Metal Gear Solid Four where there will be a scene or a moment or a posture where you'll get a uh, it'll linger on it for a second. You'll have a little X icon in the lower right, and you hit the X button on the controller, and you'll get a bunch of uh, grainy flashes from previous games in the series where that particular image has shown up. And initially, it sort of passes off as like, oh, by the way, there's so much lore here that you need to be reminded in the moment what this is referring to. But none of the references are necessarily one-to-one. Like, um, why why do I need to know that Big Boss saluted the grave of the boss at the opening of Metal Gear Solid 4 when Old Snake is saluting somebody's grave? That's not Old Snake. Uh, why does that... How, how do they have a relationship? Well, they... That, we're, we're, we're combining the two. We're thinking Snake and Big Boss are the same person, and this image is telling us that. It's a very, very back-of-the-brain association that you're just making as you play these games. And I think it is a game that is hyper-focused on its core audience knowing a lot. It's hyper-focused on the core audience knowing as much about Metal Gear as the developers do. And so... From that angle, I think the experiment has a, has a, has a flaw in terms of, of, of how many people it can reach. But like once you take that notion of all the associations are wrong, people's destinies and fates are screwed up because the Patriot system, the fact that we have to have these sequels constantly repeating the same patterns uh, is, is basically catching everybody up in the past. And then defeating that releases them from the past, enables them to go in the future. That uh, That is very interesting to me. And I still feel that the game can be read uh, from that point of view. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what Monstrous Births essentially is. You can read the whole thing and there's evidence and screen caps and stuff like that from it. Uh, but uh, I think it is very interesting and I think it's... Uh, I don't know how I would have executed it differently because it requires so much knowledge and familiarity with with this sort of like bulk of lore that MGS carried with it at that point. It's um I'm going to stumble over my words more than likely here. But with Metal Gear Solid 2 there was a a very clear idea lesson meta element to it that it, it it's it's very um openly communicated through the game that this is a game uh, not just about sequels, but about information 
and the relationship we have with it. Um, you know, M- MGS2 is about memes. It doesn't hide that fact. There, There's a clear theme right. to it. When you get to, to MGS4, even though there is a theme to it, it's it's kind of an abstract theme. Yes. Well, oh, go it's, on, go on. It's, I, um, I, I hear you. you. And you might be able to put this better than I will, but the 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 theme word for that game is sense and that alone can be mm-hmm. seen in a few different ways and they treat it in a few different ways in in one way they 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 use the word sense to mean your literal senses you know touch taste uh smell and so on uh, but in another sense <laughs> to use that word um <laughs> it could mean um it's it, it sort of seems to mean like the uh, the intangible part of a person that defines who they are that they can't pass on, right? right. Uh, your soul, your will. I think I think that's how how Kojima described it at one point was like it's 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 your sense of will almost, and it was something that he struggled to pass on to the development team after MGS two and three, which is why he had to step in again and sort of try to communicate. You know, like you know, you've got the skills, you've got the ideas, but you're not really getting it in a way. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Excuse me. <laughs> so, so maybe yes. you can sort of give words to what I'm trying to communicate here because I'm I'm kind of drowning. No, I think you got it, uh, and and I think that that's that that slots in uh, very closely with sort of my take on the game is that your sense uh, there there's uh, to to play off the words in English there's there's sense there's something that makes sense there's sensibility and that that implies a kind of alignment right. And uh, so if you are in your proper senses, you are aligned, you're bodily, mentally, everything is cogent, everything is present in working order. And that's what is not present in Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, uh, Old Snake is conflated with Big Boss. Um, oh, what are some of the other ones? I'm forgetting. That's, that's the one that I remember the most. But uh, but yeah, you have characters that are that are just sort of mashed up with, in some cases, their opposites. From uh, from the way the imagery suggests, so the sense is gone, and at the end, once the Patriot system is wiped out, uh, all of a sudden everything is good. Uh, you get the three good end. You get you get the good endings to previous Metal Gear games that didn't happen. You know, at the end uh, of Metal Gear Solid One, Meryl and Snake ride off into the Arctic sunset. Meryl not wearing sleeves. How did that work? <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> I replayed through Twin Snakes uh, recently and, uh, and noticed that which I have a very love Twin Snakes now, by the way. I didn't think that would happen, but it did. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, so, you know, they have they're riding off into the sunset. But because there has to be a sequel that can't succeed, that relationship has to fail because you have to return everybody back to zero. And so but then Meryl, had, Meryl and Johnny, they're married. They have a wedding. Love wins. And that's what happens when you break the cycle of sequels. Now, Meryl can be perfectly happy because she will never show up in another video game ever again, and that will never be compromised. And that is what happens when you break the Patriot system, and that is what happens when you stop making sequels. <laughs> Happy endings last. <laughs> and uh, and that that that's what I think sense means. Um, that's that that's. So I agree with you completely. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I ran out of things to say. You pretty much got it. So. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry I, I don't mean to no, take I don't, I no I was kind of hoping you would do that because I struggle to I, find I the on. words to explain this uh, again we, uh, again that's one of your skills is that you can sort of articulate these ideas better 
than than anyone else and and a lot of the times you know people might sort of have an intuition about these things but they can't quite put it into words we actually also made an agreement to like not try to push you into the deep end to to explain this stuff so the fact that you kind of eased into it totally fine makes me feel a lot better (laughs) the way you said that nitroid i feel like you do that for a lot of things i feel about current discourse on metal gear like something will happen <laughs> and i and i feel a certain way and I, I just can't find the right sentence for it and then you write something and i'm just like yeah i can just retweet that you've you've, you've explained it it's great I, I hate to be repetitive but again <laughs> you might not have noticed but your brain did. <laughs> yeah oh man so just to so the, the tom olsen yeah is that right I remember the name right yeah that was that was that was ace that was brilliant as That's soon as ace, i when i saw you. that happening I was like, "Oh, someone has someone has substance. Someone has the." I'm so glad you realized that. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, "Oh man, someone opened up demo theater." No, not demo theater. It was uh, the model viewer. Model viewer. Yeah, and I'm like, "All right, someone is finally making use of this," and that was a brilliant, brilliant thing. I was on the edge of my seat, and I want to let you know that was one of the most thrilling experiences I have had with the internet. Thank you so much. It's great. Man, that coming from you, that means a hell of a lot, really. Uh, God, <laughs> man, amazing. I gotta tell you, um, I was, times, I just, oh my god, there were times where we were crying on the phone about that shit. I was, um, no, when I started that thing. I just wanted to take some funny photos, like the idea of a janitor at the big shell was really funny yeah. to me, and I just wanted to just. just I wanted to shit post. That was essentially what it was, was just me shit posting. Um, and then I was just getting a little creative with it. And uh, Konami retweeted it and sort of played in on the joke. And I thought that was like, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. and, and that was nice. But then it just sort of took a turn. And yeah, as Donald Glover says, that's when the world went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody started thinking that was going to be a real thing and i have a i I legitimately have a playlist on youtube of 20 videos that were made about tom olson wondering what he's going to announce i want you to i want you to share that with me because i would love to watch those and like not all of them are in english either it just i i was looking at this like oh my god what have i gotten into these people are going to tar and feather me when they realize it And, and so I something on the internet right? isn't what it seems. So I made oh, that no. comment where I was like, okay, I don't work for Konami, but I'd love to her, her like, because I didn't want to break character. Right. Like I'm committed to the bit. And yeah, no, that that's that is one thing that um, that that is something that I, I have so much respect for the way character was maintained. It was a consistent tone. It didn't break it. Uh, it, it had a really good buildup. And the payoff was just was just Thank exquisite. You. It was so, made uh, uh, just basically uh, at the spur of the moment, uh, you know, at a breakneck pace. I was figuring it out as I went. Uh, thank you. you. Did a great job. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't get killed by someone. For that. <laughs> it was the it was the, the purest expression of love for the game that I think everyone who loves that game really felt and went along with and yeah yeah it was like it, it we we while we knew that it wasn't it wasn't something new for the game it still felt like it was like it still felt like it was yeah, yeah. i agree thank you 
Uh, so we're coming up on about an hour and a half, which uh, is pretty long for us, actually. We usually go about an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, I was low-key thinking if we needed, like, a part two for this. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but oh, no, no it's, sorry. Um, if you all, if you all need to wrap no, up. No, well, I was going to say, did you want to Did you want to tell people where they can find you online, uh, if they want to follow your work or your projects, anything like that? Plug away. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter on uh, Adelegian. It's A-D-I-L-E-G-I-A-N. That is my favorite old English verb. And uh, that's, uh, and no one knows how to pronounce it or spell it. So that's it. Uh, then there is uh, Delta Head Media is the uh, Twitch channel that I stream on. I've been streaming twice weekly. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that. that's one place that you can sort of uh, see what I'm up to and say hi as well. Heck yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the show. Like, Jay, I really just, appreciate it. Thank you it. for having me. You just cracked open our brains, man. You, you've been on my list for <laughs> a while. For having me. So I'm, I'm glad I could get you to come on. I really, really do appreciate it. Now I got to go bug Ryan Payton. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was genuinely really nice to speak to you. And, uh, yeah, I definitely want to throw some ideas your way for the future. If you have time for that, um, with something, some Metal Gear Solid Three stuff. Yeah, please do send it my way, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, gonna watch that speed run again. <laughs> <laughs>